All right, the history of the world. Here we go. Ready? Buckle up. God creates the world in Genesis. Everybody go to Genesis. The beginning of Genesis. And as He's creating the world, He creates man. That's us. He looked at all He had made and He said, This is good. This is good. It says in the Scripture that God set man apart from the rest of creation, from the animals, from the plants. He actually set mankind up over the rest of the creation. Set him apart for the purpose of governing. He made man in His image. That's the other thing that the Scriptures tell us. This is very significant. That God made man in His image. The power to make choices, the power to create, the power to name, the power to exercise dominion over the rest of creation was what God gave to mankind. Amen? All right. Um, the other thing, so what, we, what we're going to be talking about tonight is in what way did God create us in His image? And the first thing that I really feel like God has got on His heart tonight is this. He wants us to understand who He is at the core of His being. What was it that He wanted to impart into us that He carries? What's in His DNA that He wants us to carry? And this is it. God is holy. Amen? God is holy. What does holy mean? Here's a few things that it means. Holy means uncommon. Holy means unlike anything else. Holy means set apart from what's normal. Holy is the absence of sin and defilement. Amen? Okay, that gives you a sense of holiness. Every encounter between, with God throughout the Scriptures reveals His holiness. We're going to look at a couple of those right now. Go to Exodus 33 and 34. Exodus 33 and 34. It's just a little bit farther than... Genesis, it's the next book over. Genesis, Exodus. Here's what happens in, uh, in, in Exodus 33. In Exodus 33, Moses asked God to reveal Himself to Moses. And the Lord says this, I will make My goodness pass before you. Are you guys tracking me here? Okay, what's the address of that? Give it to me real quick. 3312, no. 3319, yes. 3319, that's where we're picking up here. He says, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you. And check this out. This is a little bit further along. We're going to skip over a verse. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. That's holy. That's holiness. Okay? God passes by Moses, covering him while he does, and Moses and Moses' response is in Exodus thirty four eight. Go to Exodus thirty four eight. You're jumping ahead a little bit. Thirty four eight. Everybody there? Moses' response when God walks by him, passes by him, is to throw himself to the ground and worship, and then repent on behalf of the sinfulness of the people of Israel. Do you see that? That's what holiness does to us. 
Holiness causes us to throw ourselves to the ground, worship God, and repent. Okay? That's how holy He is. Why did He do that? Because He was exposed to the holiness of God. Now we're going to move forward um, to the prophet Isaiah. Everybody flip forward a little bit to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Everybody there? All right, here we go. This is the word of the Lord. Now, you have to understand a little bit of background, a little bit of context for this word. Isaiah was a Levite. How many know what a Levite was? A Levite was a was a uh, was a uh, one of the tribes of Israel that was set apart to be priests before the Lord. Okay, so this was a man who was set apart from being a young child uh, to be set apart for the Lord to study His Word to be consecrated to Him. This is a holy man. I mean, these are these Levites knew the Torah backwards and forwards. So the first five chapters of the Bible they would memorize by the time they were. In their early 10, 11, 12 years old, they would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. They were consecrated to God. So he's in the temple and he's worshiping, and that's where we're going to pick up in verse one. It was in the year of King. It was it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So this priest is in the temple. He's worshiping. And he has an open vision that the, that the ceiling in the temple opens up and the train of the robe of the Lord falls into the temple. And then he sees a vision of the throne room. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two wings they covered their feet. And with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Their voices shook the temple to His foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed. For I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. Now there's a couple things that we're going to unpack from this. The first is the angels. How many know why they're covering their faces? The glory of God, the holiness of God, these angelic beings who have been created to stand in the presence of the Lord for all time cannot bear to look into the center, into His face. So even angelic beings have to cover their faces when they stand in the presence of God. Are you getting a picture of the holiness of this God that we serve? Are you getting a clearer picture of that? Here's the other thing that I want to highlight here that I feel like the Lord wants to highlight. If you are God you get to decide what they're going to cry out in your presence for all time. You can pick any word you want. You can say love, love, love. Is it true that He is love? Amen, it is true. 
You could say, cry out before me, mercy, mercy, mercy. Is it true that He's merciful? But the word that God chooses to identify Himself for all the ages is holy. Holy, holy. The other thing I want us to recognize is here is a man who is walking set apart, who is walking in holiness. And what is his response when he sees the glory of God? He falls to his face and he says, I am doomed. I want to tell you something. None of us has a revelation, really, of how holy this God is. All we can do is ask Him to reveal to us, and that's what we're going to do right now. I'd just like to ask everybody, just close your eyes. We're just going to pray and ask Him to do this in us. Because humanly speaking, there's no way for me to describe how holy God is. Father, we just come before You and we ask for revelation. We ask that You would bring a revelation of how holy You really are. Just release revelation about how holy you are into us as we listen to and receive your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. The other thing I want you to see here in verse 6 and 7, when the seraphim flies to him and touches him with a coal, that's a prophetic act that is foretelling the time when Christ would come. Christ is the sacrifice that makes us holy before God. Amen? So that coal represents... The atonement of our sins, not coming from us and our human effort and us saying, oh, you know what? Let's see if we can do a better job of being holy. That doesn't amount to anything. In fact, the scriptures tell us that our righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. You can see here's a man who's been set apart his whole life to walk before God who's consecrated. And his first response to a revelation of the holiness of God is to fall to his face and say, I am doomed. I'm a man of unclean lips. Okay? The other thing I want us to see is there is something that needs to happen to us before we get sent out as messengers to this lost and dying world. There's a consecration that has to take place. Did you notice that first God sent an angel to touch his lips and to make him holy before he asked the question, who should we send? God knew that it wasn't going to be an ordinary man walking in worldliness and with a life full of sin that was going to be able to accomplish his purposes. He knew that there needed to be a setting apart, a marking, a consecrating, a making holy of the messenger before he would be able to accomplish his purposes. Amen? Okay, that's the other thing I want us to track. The prophet Ezekiel, and go to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1, that's a little bit further along in the prophets. Just continue to page forward. It's after Lamentations and before the book of Daniel. Ezekiel chapter 1. Now, I'm not going to read this entire scripture to you, but I'm going to tell you what happens. Um, basically, Ezekiel has an encounter with God in chapter 1. He has an encounter with God. It's very similar to the picture that Isaiah describes in his temple encounter that we just read in chapter 6. So you've got a consistency here of what happens when people have encounters with God. They fall on their face and they say, this is not good for me. Something, I, you know, I'm not right with this holy God. Ezekiel has a similar experience. God reveals himself to him. He has this vision of God. He falls on his face and he's in terror. And the Lord says, it's okay, get up, it'll be alright. I have something I want to tell you. After this encounter with God, I'm going to jump forward just to uh, chapter 3, verse 15. I just want to capture this scripture 
just to give you a sense for what happens to a human being after they've had an encounter with this holy God. It says here, Then I came to the colony of Judean exiles in Tel Aviv beside the Keba River. Listen to the state of this man after this encounter with God. I was overwhelmed and sat among them for seven days. He was so traumatized by the holiness of God that he, was, he sat there in, in awe and shock of this encounter with God for seven days. Are you understanding the holiness a little bit better? You're getting a glimpse into the holiness of this God. Amen? Okay, I'm going to try that one more time. Amen. Maybe you're in awe of the holiness and you can't speak. That would be a good excuse. Okay. Hallelujah. Let's go. Um, we're going to go into the book of Revelation. Go into the book of Revelation. You should recognize this uh, description. We are in... Um, let's see. We are... Chapter, let's see, where are we? I think we're towards the beginning. Okay, chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1. It was too easy. Revelation chapter 1. Now, for those of you who don't know, the book of Revelation was a revelation given to the Apostle John later in his ministry. After he had walked with the Lord for a long time, he was on the island of Patmos, imprisoned there. How many know that it's when we're going through some of the worst trials that we have some of the most powerful and profound encounters with God? Why? Because He knows that we need that kind of powerful encounter with Him. So He's going through a trial. He's on the island of Patmos. This is what He says. He's taken up in the Spirit. I'm going to pick up in verse 12. This is what it says. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man... How many know who that's a reference to? Jesus Christ, the risen Messiah. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. Hardly the hippie Jesus that we think about. Amen? This is a different Jesus. This is a resurrected Jesus who's got eyes that are burning like fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace and His voice thundered like a mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in His right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from His mouth and His face was like the sun in all its brilliance. How many have tried to stare directly into the sun? Is it effective? Is it enjoyable? Is it bright? Okay, you get the picture. When I saw him, this should sound familiar, brothers, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. Hallelujah! This is a holy God. This is a holy Son. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in the grave. Then the Apostle John goes on to reveal the scene in the throne room. And we're going to jump ahead. Jump ahead with me to uh, chapter 4. Chapter 4. Book of Revelation. Chapter 4. This is the word of the Lord. Listen, beloved. This scene should sound familiar. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. 
And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. Basically, the book of Revelation is a book. It's a map of the end times. It's a map of the times that we are in right now in this hour, in this generation. It is like a blueprint for the end times. Okay, so that's what we're seeing here. God is trying to reveal to His church what is going to happen in those days. And while He's doing that, there have been many, believe me, who have searched the Scriptures, but I believe in this hour He's giving special revelation about this book so that we will understand the times that we are in and have a sense of urgency because time is short, beloved. This is the Word of the Lord. And instantly I was in the Spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four, el- twenty-four thrones surrounded him and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were cl- all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. These are the same living beings that Ezekiel saw, the same living beings that Isaiah saw, the same living beings that have been standing before the throne of God declaring holy, holy, holy for all time from before time and forever. And this is what they are saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Hallelujah. Woo! Beloved, (laughs) this is a holy God. We are talking about a holy God. All right. This is just the beginning of a picture of God. God and His holiness. It helps us understanding the holiness of God helps us understand why He has always been set from the very beginning. It began with Adam and Eve. He wanted to set apart mankind for Himself, a creation that He could love and that could love Him, that could have interaction with Him, that could have fellowship with Him. This was God's desire from the very beginning and He continued to reveal His heart for humanity when He raised up the nation of Israel. When He raised up the nation of Israel, He said this, His desire was that He would set a nation apart. How many know that the world fell into wickedness when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and evil and destruction and darkness was released into the earth? And we know from the scriptures in the book of Genesis that there was debauchery and wickedness across the earth. It was so bad that God literally had no other choice than to destroy everything and start over with Noah's family. Amen? 
He set Noah's family apart. He said, this is a man after my own heart. And he preserved their family. He said, I'm going to start over. I'm going to renew my covenant with Noah, the same covenant I had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same covenant that I wanted to make with, with Adam in the garden. So he reestablishes his covenant. That's actually where we see the covenant for the first time with Noah. And then we again see it with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he, he desires to set apart a people for himself. In fact, he called Abraham out from among the nation that he was with, out from among his own father's family. Do you remember this from the book of Genesis? He calls him out. He says, come out of your own nation. Come out of your own family. I'm going to take you and set you apart and create a nation through you. And he made promises to Abraham. And he said, your people, you're not going to occupy this land now because the people of this nation have not, their, their wickedness hasn't risen to the level that they should receive judgment. But in the fullness of time, I will bring your people back to this land of Canaan and I will make a covenant with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. But for 400 years, they're going to be trapped in wickedness. They're going to be trapped in slavery in the nation of Egypt. But I will deliver them with my mighty right hand. Are you remembering this from the word of the Lord, beloved? Amen. This is what God said. So he did. He fulfilled what he said he would. He brought that nation from out of Egypt and set that nation apart. Why? Because the world again had fallen into wickedness. And He wanted to set a nation apart so that His glory could be revealed to the nations through the nation of Israel. It's why He took them out of Egypt with power. How many know that Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world at that time? They had the greatest wealth, the greatest army, the greatest reputation. God deliberately pulled His people away from the greatest nation of the world so that the world might know that this was, the God of the, this was the God of the universe and there was no other God before Him. He was deliberate about the plagues that He sent to humble the gods of Egypt and demonstrate His power and His glory over the gods of the nations. Because at that time He wanted to reveal Himself to the nations. That is why he says this. I want you guys to go to Leviticus chapter 18. Listen to what God says about this nation of Israel. Leviticus 18, we're going to start in verse 1. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Third book of the Torah. Beloved, this is what the word of the Lord says. Listen to God's heart for Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. I am the Lord your God. So do not act like the people in Egypt where you used to live, or like the people of Canaan where I am taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. You must obey all my regulations and be careful to obey my decrees, for I am the Lord your God. If you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. I am the Lord. So God, God is in the process of revealing his heart. He's saying, don't be like the people that I just delivered you from. And don't be like the people in the nation where I'm taking you. Listen to what he says. Go to Deuteronomy chapter seven, Deuteronomy chapter seven. All of this is important foundation so we understand what God's heart has been through the, through the ages and the generations. Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Everybody there? Amen? 
Everybody in Deuteronomy chapter 7, one more time, tracking check. Amen. Amen. All right, awesome. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are about to enter and occupy, He will clear away many nations ahead of you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them, make no treaties with them, and show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and he will quickly destroy you. This is what you must do. You must break down their pagan altars and shatter their sacred pillars. Cut down their Asherah poles and burn their idols. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be His special treasure. To be holy. To be set apart for God. A couple significant points that, are, that I feel like God wants to bring out in this passage I want you guys to to really hear this clearly. Notice that God is warning His people not to compromise with the people of the nations around them. He is specifically warning them, saying, don't be like these people. Don't enter into treaties with them. Don't enter into agreements with them. Don't compromise with them. If you compromise with these nations around you, if you compromise with the world around you, You will become like them. I'm warning you solemnly, do not do this or you will be led away from me. And I'm telling you, He is saying the same thing to His church in this hour. Whenever God gives us stories, whenever God gives us revelation of the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a shadow of what God is going to do in the New Testament. All of these stories, all the lessons that we are supposed to glean from the people, from the nation of Israel, are designed to keep us out of trouble under the new covenant. So when he warns his people, don't be like Egypt. And he warns his people, don't be like Canaan. He's saying to his New Testament church, don't be like the world. Don't compromise with the world. Don't do the things the world is doing. We're going to find as we search the Scriptures together, this is a very serious issue for God. God is over it. God is tired of a church that is compromising with the world. God is tired of a church that looks more like our culture than it does the kingdom of God. The Lord is raising up a generation of men in this hour to be set apart for the kingdom of God. To not look like the world. To be in the world, but not of the world. Amen? Amen. Alright. God doesn't stop here. Okay, the first picture that He gives us is, I have set apart man from the rest of the creation to be something holy unto me. Something special unto me. Then the Lord says this. He says, I'm going to, now it's the age of nations. And He says, I'm going to set apart Israel. Israel is going to be a holy nation. A tribe of, a, a nation of priests that will stand before me and, and minister to me. But He doesn't stop speaking to us about this idea of being set apart. He takes it even further. You know, He knows how thick we are. 
He knows how slow we are. So He gives us lots and lots and lots of examples of this so that we can't possibly miss it. Here's what He does. I'm going to ask you guys to go to Numbers chapter 8. Numbers chapter 8. Go quickly to Numbers chapter 8. We're going to be plowing through this. There's a, there's a lot to get through, but God has really got something that's burning in His heart that He wants us to hear. Even from within, everybody at Numbers 8? Okay, we're going to try one more time. Everybody at Numbers 8? All right, tracking, tracking with me. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Even from within the nation of Israel, He sets apart a tribe within the nation of Israel to be His own special possession, the Levites. The Levites were set apart from the rest of the tribes of Israel. They were taught the Torah, as we mentioned, while they were little children. They were given special assignments to take care of the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle, the place that actually housed the presence of God. He said, this is not something for every Israelite to do. I am setting apart among you a people, the tribe of the Levites. Their only job will be to care for and minister to me in the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. If anyone else comes near the Ark, they will die. Because of my holiness, you are going to set them apart to minister unto me. So here we have a God who is now set apart humanity, now within humanity, set apart the nation of Israel. And he goes even further and says, I'm going to set apart this group of within the Israelites, the Levites, to minister to me. Are we seeing his heart here? Okay. They were, you know, the other thing, they were given special allotments of food from the sacrifices that the people brought to Israel. They were given to God in exchange for the firstborn sons of Israel who were allowed to live when God released the plague upon the Egyptians. Remember all the Israelite firstborns were allowed to live? The Lord said, you owe me those sons. I saved your firstborn. Now your firstborn are mine. But I'm going to take the Levites in exchange for your firstborn. Believe it. We're going to start in Numbers 8, starting in verse 5. Let's read what the Word of God says. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is starting in verse 5, beloved, Now set the Levites apart from the rest of the people of Israel and make them ceremonially clean. Are you seeing the same language of being set apart? Do this by sprinkling them with the water of purification and have them shave their entire body and wash their clothing. Then they will be ceremonially clean. Have them bring a young bull in a grain offering of choice flour moistened with olive oil along with a second young bull for a sin offering. Then assemble the whole community of Israel and present the Levites at the entrance of the tabernacle. When you present the Levites before the Lord, the people of Israel must lay their hands on them. And I want to say there's something special about that, that what they're really doing is laying their hands and transferring the sin and guilt of the nation onto the Levites, okay? Raising his hands, Aaron must then present the Levites to the Lord as a special offering from the people of Israel, thus dedicating them to the Lord's service. Listen to verse 12. Next, the Levites will lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls. Now, these are the sacrifices, so now the guilt is being transferred to the bulls. Present one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to purify the Levites and make them right with the Lord. Then have the Levites stand in front of Aaron and his sons and raise your hands and present them as a special offering to the Lord. In this way, you will set the Levites apart from the rest of the people of Israel and the Levites will belong 
to me. After this, they may go into the tabernacle to do their work because you have purified them and presented them as a special offering. Listen in verse 16. We're going to continue on. Of all the people of Israel, the Levites are reserved for me. I have claimed them for myself in place of all the firstborn sons of the Israelites. I have taken the Levites as their substitutes for all the firstborn males among the people of Israel are mine both of people and of animals. I set them apart for myself on the day I struck down all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. Yes, I have claimed the Levites in place of all the firstborn sons of Israel. And of all the Israelites, I have assigned the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They will serve in the tabernacle on behalf of the Israelites and make sacrifices to purify the people so no plague will strike them when they approach the sanctuary. As they entered the promised land, brothers, there was something else about the Levites that you need to know. They were not given an allotment of land. Do you remember how all the other tribes were given portions of land in Canaan for them to occupy and dwell in? The Levites were not given a portion of land. They owned nothing. In fact, they were completely dependent on the offerings of God's people. All of their provision came out of the offerings that God's people brought to the temple So they were completely dependent on God. They were completely dependent on God's grace. The other thing was they were completely, uh, they they had no land. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. I, I, I think the reason why God wants us to see this is this. Chapter 10, verse 9. Deuteronomy 10, 9. The reason why He wants us to see this is this, brothers. God in this hour is raising up Levites that do not have anything, that do not have land, that do not have possessions. The only thing they have is God. They're totally dependent on God. He's raising up people right now in this hour that are walking in that place. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 10.9. That is why the Levites have no share of property or possession of land among the other Israelite tribes. The Lord Himself is their special possession as the Lord your God told them, part of being set apart for God is giving up everything you own in exchange for the Lord. I'm just going to be real with you. That is the call to be set apart for God. It's a call to give up everything. And you know what? It's all throughout the Gospels. Every one of the disciples, when they were called, basically just left what they were doing and followed Jesus. It's a call to just give it all up. And in exchange for giving it all up, you get God. In exchange for giving it all up, you get greater intimacy with God. In exchange for giving it all up, you get to experience the power of the kingdom. You get to see people get saved. You get to see people get healed. You get to see people delivered from demonic oppression. That's the cost of the gospel. It costs everything. Now, that may not actually involve, I just want to qualify this, it may not actually involve you actually selling everything that you own. Okay? It may not. But I want to tell you, it might. It might. There are many right now that are being called into that place. I know brothers in here that God is calling them, putting His finger on them and saying, sell everything and follow me. It kind of settles the issue of whether you're serious about this or you aren't. I'm just telling you, the Spirit of God is hovering right now over the earth and He's looking for men who will even open their hearts up to, to let Him ask, pose that question to you. Amen? Okay. 
even from among so here we have God setting apart humanity he sets apart the nation of Israel he sets apart the levites but there's even a greater setting apart that he calls a group of israelites to called the nazarites going to number 62 going to number 62 even from among the people of Israel and the Levites, there were those that were set apart to the Lord in a special way. And, and, and in number 6-2, you see the beginning of that. Number 6-2. If any of the people, either men or women, take a special vow of a Nazarite, setting themselves apart to the Lord in a special way, and then it goes on to say what the requirements are. And these are the requirements of being a Nazarite in, this, in that generation. They would take a vow to refrain from drinking alcohol. That signifies a willingness to be under the control of God alone, to, under the control of the Spirit of God alone. How many know there's other spirits out there? How many know that there's a reason they call them spirits when you're drinking? There's a reason that they're called spirits because they open gateways in the Spirit to influence from powers of darkness. Okay? I'm not saying that you can't have wine. I'm not, I mean, Jesus drank wine. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Nazarites, there's a call among God's people for a group to be raised up that is set apart in a special way. So that was the first thing that they did. The second thing that they did was they did not cut their hair during their Nazarite vow, which was a symbol of their separation to God, that they were set apart for God. The other thing is they would not touch dead bodies. That symbolized absolute purity and holiness, that they were not defiled by anything. If for, one, for whatever reason or another they were exposed to a dead body or touched a dead body, they would have to start over their Nazarite vow. They'd have to go through a purification ceremony and start it over. Nazarites were called in number 6-8, those that were set apart unto the Lord. Set apart. This is a, a very important season. Sometimes these were vows that were temporary, seasonal. You could enter into a Nazarite vow to be set apart to the Lord for a season. Examples of that would be the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, in Acts 21 26. Do you guys remember when he came back to Jerusalem? He took a vow along with some other Israelites, and in fact, it was on his way to the temple to have his hair shaved to signify the ending of that vow, that season of, of a Nazarite vow, that he was arrested in the temple and, and turned over to the Romans and beaten. Do you remember this? Okay. Other times, Nazarites were dedicated by their parents. Examples of this are in the book of Samuel, in 1 Samuel 1, 27 and 28. You might remember Hannah, who couldn't give birth to a child. Do you remember this? She was being ridiculed by the other wife of her husband. She went before the temple and cried out to God and said, God, if you give me a child, I'll set him apart to you. I'll give him to you and dedicate him to you. Lo and behold, about a year later, she gives birth. To, she's pregnant with Samuel. And as soon as she, he's done weaning... She keeps her vow and she, she brings Samuel to Eli the priest. That is an example of someone who is dedicated as a Nazarite by their parents. Okay? There's other examples of Nazarites who were not dedicated by their parents. They didn't enter into a vow voluntarily, but God Himself called them and set them apart as Nazarites. Examples of this are Samson. Samson was set apart as a Nazarite by the Lord. Now, Samson's an example of someone who was a Nazarite but didn't walk out that call. How many know that Samson fell and did not realize his destiny? You can be a Nazarite, you can be called, you can be set apart for God and still fall. And if you fall, you will not accomplish your destiny and your purpose in the kingdom. Then there are other examples like John the Baptist. 
How many know he was called by God to be a Nazarite before he was even born? They said he will not drink in in Luke chapter 1, verse 14 through 17. That's where it articulates John's Nazarite call. He said he should be kept away from alcohol. And it says in in the womb that he was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. That's set apart for God. How many know that's another way that God marks us and sets us apart from other people? When we're born again, when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, we are set apart from this world into the kingdom of God for God's purposes. Amen? Amen. All right. What is God? So here's the question. Are you guys seeing this clear picture of God's heart desire to find a nation, to find a people, to find individual men who will be set apart for His purposes? God has not changed. He still wants a people set apart for His purposes. Except now, instead of being made holy by external laws and regulations, we're made holy by the Spirit of God inside of each one of us that does the work of consecration and changes our desires. If we let Him, you can receive the Holy Spirit and you can resist the work of God in your life. And the Holy Spirit will withdraw from you. It's in the Word. We are not preaching here a gospel of once saved, always saved. I'm sorry, beloved, that does not bear the weight of Scripture. We can turn away from God and walk away from our salvation if we refuse and resist the Spirit of God and resist the transformation that He wants to bring in our lives. Amen? That was a little meek. Either people are afraid or you don't have a witness in the Spirit. Amen? Okay, here's the deal. We're going to look at this a little bit deeper. We're not made holy by external laws and the blood of animals. We're made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. God living within us. As we submit and obey Him, He changes us. God made us to be holy. Okay? That's why the Scriptures tell us we're to be holy because He's holy. Amen? Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Remember that God is radically holy and His desire from the beginning was to make man in His image. He wanted man to be set apart for Him. He wanted man to be consecrated to Him, made for Him made of the same substance as Him. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Let's take a look at that. Everybody there? Okay. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Okay? So God is calling us to be holy. Why does God want us to be holy? Why, does God, why is this a big deal to God that we're set apart? The first reason is this, so that we can spend eternity with Him. That's why He wants us to be holy. Matthew 5.8 says this, beloved, 
God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. You know what else that says? If your heart is not pure, you will not see God. Psalm 24, 3-6, listen to the word of God. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. So what he's saying here is only those whose hands and hearts are pure. Only those whose hands and hearts are pure will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. The second reason, why does God want us to be holy and set apart? The second reason is so the world will see what God looks like. So the world will see what God looks like. John 14, 9, this is what Jesus said. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. When you look at Jesus, you see God. When you hear his teachings, when you see who he is, you see who God is. That's exactly what he wants to do in us. He wants us to look like Jesus. If we don't look like Jesus, no one comes into the kingdom. Our consecration, our personal holiness allows the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be manifest in our lives. The less we look like the world around us, the more we look like God. All right. Go to Matthew 5.13. Matthew 5.13. Matthew 5.13. Okay. This is what it says, beloved, in Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Listen to what it says. It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. I'm going to tell you what that means. That's the lake of fire. That is, that's being thrown out of the kingdom of God. What is salt? Salt is our personal holiness. It's, the, it's, it's us looking like God. It's us manifesting the character of God. If we aren't salty, if we aren't walking in holiness, then we don't release. Our personal holiness changes the spiritual atmosphere around us. It's why the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 7, 14 through 16, if you are married to an unbeliever, stay married to him. Because you will will release holiness into that person's life. And because of you, your children will be holy. So what it's saying is, if you are a kingdom person that is submitted and obeying God and is walking and asking God to change your life, your walk of personal holiness will transform the people around you. It will literally change the spiritual atmosphere around you. But if you've lost your flavor, beloved, if you're not walking in a place of holiness, if you're not consecrated to God, and you walk in a room and everybody goes, can't tell you from anybody else, That's salt that's lost its flavor. Amen? Okay. The third reason that God wants us to be holy and set apart is so we won't be entangled by compromise with the world and by spiritual darkness and ultimately so we will not be destroyed. uh, James 4.4, I'm going to read this. Actually, I'm going to read from James uh, 4-4.10 just so you can hear God's heart about this. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? 
I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Are you hearing the heart of God in this? Are you, are you hearing the gravity of his heart and the seriousness of his heart around this issue? He's saying, listen, he's talking about worldliness. He's saying, don't be friends with the world. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? God is jealous for our hearts. But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the, the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided. I'm, this, this word, I believe, is for the Church of America. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up in honor. What I hear a lot and I think a lot of us are hearing is, is the church is saying peace, peace, peace. There's no problem. Everything's okay. But the spirit of God is, not, is saying there is no peace right now. There's no peace in our nation. There's no peace in the church. What does it mean to be friends with the world? God is calling us as believers to stop compromising with the world, beloved. To not do the things that the world is doing. I want to give you some examples that I feel like God is highlighting right now. If the world is living a lifestyle of partying and drunkenness, then we're called to live in a lifestyle of sobriety. If the world is living a lifestyle saturated with television and media, then we are called to live a lifestyle saturated by the Word of God. If the world is living a lifestyle of self-indulgence and selfishness, then we're called to live a lifestyle of prayer and fasting and self-denial so that the world will see that God is real. And if the world is living a lifestyle of sexual immorality, filled with lust and perversion, then we are called to live a lifestyle of purity and consecration. We are all called to this lifestyle of being set apart for God, beloved. This is not something for a few super-Christians. When we are given the Holy Spirit, when we are called out of the world, it's very clear from Scripture that all of us are called out of the world and into this place of being set apart for the Lord. But as the scriptures say, many are called and few are chosen. Those who are chosen are not the ones with the most willpower. This is not a human effort. Who's got the most willpower game? The chosen are those who answer the call and submit to being slaves of righteousness, and then God makes them righteous. Those that surrender and submit to God's work, He will make you righteous if you will surrender. That's your part. Listen to this in 2 Peter. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2 and we're taking this in for a landing so we're real close. You guys have been very patient. I appreciate it. But we need, we just, we need to finish this and really hear God out on this. 2 Peter chapter 2. Okay. 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 19b. Here's, this is the word of the Lord. 
For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. Listen to this. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. I'm telling you, this is not some tangential issue. This is not about super-Christians. This is the core of the gospel message. And it would be better if you never knew Jesus than for you to know Jesus and ignore this command to walk in holiness, to walk in consecration, to be set apart. It'll be worse off for you to never have known Christ than to, than to know Him and, and live a compromised life entangled with worldliness and never be effective for the kingdom of God in any way. Now, you know, I want to be real with you guys because I know maybe as you're hearing this for the first time, because I know that I, my heart was kind of in this place when I first heard it, you think about accepting a call because I believe that's what God is doing. He's calling us to be set apart right now. He's calling us and saying, are you willing to be set apart for me? That initially you're probably thinking, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> Wow, that sounds really hard for my flesh to do. Um, I don't know if I can do that. In fact, it almost seems like, and maybe, maybe your mind is going in this place, it almost seems like bondage to constantly be in a place where you've got to come before God and go, God, would you show me what's in my heart? God, would you help me? God, you know, you're repenting all the time. It's like, oh my God, you know, I mean, it's almost like a bondage to trying to be holy and trying to be righteous. But I want to I want to just say this to you to just give you a little bit of perspective because you will be in bondage to something. Every single one of you is going to be in bondage to something. Now it may be bondage to drugs, it may be bondage to lust, it may be bondage to pornography, it may be bondage to video games, it may be bondage to media, it may be bondage to leisure and entertainment. You will be chained to something. The only real question is, are you going to be chained to sin and chained to demonic power, which is going to destroy you? Or are you going to be chained to holiness, chained to righteousness, chained to Christ, chained to eternal life, chained to eternal joy, chained to eternal peace? That's really the only question that needs to be settled. Is, is, is which one are you going to be chained to? We've got to be willing to give up our slavery to sin in exchange to slavery to righteousness. And it is slavery. But it's way better to be a slave to righteousness than it is to be a slave to sin, beloved. Revelation 18.4 says this, Then I have heard of another voice calling from heaven. This is John again, the apostle. Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins or you'll be punished with her. What does he mean by her? It's a reference to Babylon. You know what Babylon is? Babylon is the world system. What God says to us when Jesus reveals himself to us, he calls to us and he says, come out of the world, my children. Come out of the world system. Come away from the things that, that destroy you and be set apart for me. God's calling us to be set apart so that we're not going to be judged when the world is judged by His righteous judgments. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Holiness is a salvation issue. 
our own salvation. It affects our own salvation, but not only our own salvation, it affects salvation of the people around us. Because if you think that people are going to come to Jesus when they look at you and you look exactly like the world, you're kidding yourself. And if you think the living God is not going to hold you responsible for how you lived your life and how you walked before him and the witness that you gave to the people around you, you are fooling yourself. Don't be deceived. Every single one of us is going to answer for every single thing that we do or don't do. And I am telling you today, you have been warned. You have been warned in the name of the Lord that your decisions to walk in holiness with God will not only affect your own salvation, but it will affect the salvation of those around you. Because when you are walking in holiness, the glory of God is revealed in your life. It's like Lewis was sharing a testimony with me the other night of a, of a Mexican guy he picked up his glove in the street and he walked up to him. He talked to him for five minutes and the guy said, I want what you have. You know the reason that they said that? is because Lewis spends hours before the Lord in prayer and worship. And so when he gets out onto the streets, they don't see Lewis anymore. They see the presence of a holy God upon his countenance. And they say, I want what you have. 1 Corinthians 10, 21 and 22 says this, Beloved, you know, I'm just praying that you will not take this issue of holiness lightly. I'm praying that God will give you grace for the gravity of it to, 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 to rest upon your heart. It says, it says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 21, you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. What do we dare to rouse the Lord's jealousy? Do you think we are stronger than He is? Beloved, we need to live in the fear of the Lord about this issue. That's what, that's, to be honest with you, my brothers, that's what we're missing in the Church of America. We hear lots of messages about love and grace, and you know what? Those messages are true. Our God is a God of love, and our God is a God of grace. But our God is awesome, and our God is holy, and our God is to be feared. We're playing games with worldliness to see how far we can go, to see how into the gray area we can go. And we're still clinging to our false assurance of salvation. The Lord is saying to His church, stop playing games with me. Stop making a mockery of what my son did on the cross so that you could walk in holiness. I want to read you one more scripture and then I'm going to just share a testimony with you and we're going to wrap this up. Go to Mark chapter 9. I'd like all of you to go to Mark chapter 9. This is the last scripture that we're going to look at tonight. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 43. I'm going to wait till everybody's there. Mark chapter 9. If you're there already, you can read ahead. 43 to 48. Everybody there? Okay. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. 
If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. That's the word of Jesus, the Messiah, the one who loves our souls. It doesn't sound like he's playing. I want to share a testimony with you about that scripture. I was in Uganda and I was worshiping. And I want to tell you, I've, I've, you know, I've been trying to walk in this lifestyle being set apart for God for some time. And I noticed as I was worshiping, some of the African women were very beautiful that were leading worship. And uh, I, I didn't have lust in my heart. I wasn't fantasizing. I wasn't playing movies in my head. I mean, I'm, you know, that's long gone. But what I noticed was, this is very subtle, what I noticed was I was just, I was drawn to certain ones and not others. I'm like, something in my heart is getting pulled. Something in my heart is getting pulled to those women and not the others. And I just, I just came before the Lord and I just, I said, God, what is going on? What, you know, how many times do I have to pray to have freedom from this? And the scripture that he gave me was Mark 9, 43 to 48. He said, and if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. I said, whoa, you seem like you're serious, Lord. And then the spirit of God spoke this to me. He said, turn around and worship the other direction. That's what he told me. I said, that's going to look kind of goofy. Looks better than your two eyes being gouged out. So I just said, fine. I Literally, I just closed my eyes. I didn't open my eyes anymore during worship. I just focused my eyes on the Lord. And I'm telling you, there's God is raising up men to walk in that kind of purity and that kind of holiness. And then he showed me a chain. I'm like, this is incredible. I mean, I've got to like come to you like every five seconds to like ask you to purify my heart. And I started feeling like the burden of, of, of needing to cry out to God for that level of purity. And I saw a vision of the throne in heaven and there was a chain coming off of the throne with a shackle on it. And I just knew what God was asking me. Would you be willing to shackle yourself that close to my throne and know what the cost may be to your eyes? And I literally, I saw myself shackled to the throne with my eyes gone. I was like, whoa, this is holiness. This is the cost of holiness. And I just felt the grace to just go, you know what, Lord? If that's what it takes, so be it. I'd rather be chained to you with no eyes forever than to be cast into hell and be separated from you. Now, you know, there's a provision of grace for all of us because God is bringing all of us through this process in different ways and at different levels. But I'm telling you, when you hear the Spirit of God calling you to be set apart and you hear the Spirit of God challenging you on what you're looking at and what you're doing, beloved, take the chains of lust off and put on the chains of holiness and just say, God, take me there. I'm willing to go there. Bring me there. Set me apart. Take me there. I'm telling you, it's going to take men who are in that place for the kingdom of God to, to be released in our cities. It, it, the kingdom of we can pray for revival all we want, 
We can pray, you know, that God will release healing and release deliverance. But if we're not walking in a place of holiness where we look like him, he's not going to bear witness to our walk by releasing the kingdom of God. I'm sorry. And that's largely where we find ourselves as the church is no holiness and no power. I want to read you guys a couple quick excerpts from this book. Go ahead and play, Dan, because it gives the impression that we're almost done. And we are almost done. I want to read you guys this, though. This is out of the book Set Apart for God. This is a word that John Melinde was given by the Lord. Everybody just close your eyes. I just want to read this because I believe this is a word for us right now in this hour. Everybody just close your eyes. We're coming in for a landing here, beloved. Okay. Set yourself apart from me, says the Lord. Allow me to work deeply in your life to release you from the hooks the world has in you. I will help you to overcome things you cannot overcome by yourself. I will cause your life to be separated from everything that hinders you from excelling in me. I will lift you above the influences of your world and set you free from its bonds and limitations. I will give you authority over nations and peoples. I will cause people to be drawn to my light in your life in a way you could never have imagined possible. I will cause my word through you to be much more effective than ever before. I will equip your life to accomplish things far beyond your own imagination, things otherwise impossible to you today. All I am seeking is a vessel set apart for me, totally separated from the allurements and dictates of the world around and fully yielded to my will. If you want to know this was the secret of the early church, it was the secret of everyone I ever used in generations gone by. It is still the secret to my power today. As many people as will yield their lives wholly to me in this manner, I, the Lord, will always honor. Just stay in that posture of receiving. I want to just lay out for you guys three things that God has given me to share with you about how we become set apart. The first thing that we need to do is ask God to do this in us. Specifically, we begin to ask God to give us eyes to see and ears to hear anything He wants to tell us about the things that are separating us from greater intimacy with Him and the call of God in our lives. We agree that we'll obey when we hear God saying things that need to change. We enter into a lifestyle of consistent listening, which is, involves spending time with God so that we can hear, and consistent obedience. Over time, God will sanctify and consecrate us for His purposes. So we need to ask God to do this in us. The second thing, beloved, is that we need to declare war on sin and worldliness. We need to give God permission to do whatever it takes to set us free from sin and worldliness. We submit ourselves willingly and joyfully to the Lord for discipline, correction, admonishment, and rebuke either directly through Him or through our brothers. We have to acknowledge our spiritual condition before God and before men. 
And the third thing, beloved, is that we live a lifestyle of repentance. When we make mistakes, we don't stay in a place of shame and condemnation, but we rapidly repent to the Lord and to others. We get back up. We continue in the direction of righteousness. We don't camp out where we fail, but we get up and we ask God for strength and keep pressing into holiness and purity. We fight to stay in a place of righteousness before the Lord. We work hard to show the results of our salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Right now I just want to issue this call because I know this has been a long word, but I just want to ask you guys to receive this if you receive it. I, I just believe the Lord wants to call us to be set apart for Him right now and He wants to mark some men in here right now. It's not Maybe not everybody, maybe not everybody's ready for this. But if you feel the Holy Spirit really tugging on your heart about this call to be set apart for the Lord, to be a Nazarite, to be someone who says, God, whatever you need to do, just take me wherever you need to take me. I just want to ask that you just stand where you are right now. If you're feeling that pull, just stand where you are. If you're not feeling it, don't stand up. This is not about impressing men. But if you know God is calling you to be set apart for Him, I'm just asking that you'll stand because I want to pray for you. If you're not ready, don't stand up. Please do not stand up. Please do not stand up unless you feel like God pulling on you. But if you do, and, and by all means, stand to your feet. We just want to pray for you that God will set you apart for His kingdom. That God will set you apart for His kingdom. I'm just going to ask that you would, those that are standing, would just open their hands in a posture of receiving. Dan, go ahead and we're going to go into that first song we started with. Come as close as you want because I think that is a song that's connected with this consecration. Okay. All right, just open your hands, those of you that are ready. Those of you that are not, we're going to pray for you too, that God will give you grace to receive this call at some point. You can start whenever you want. Father, we just come before you and we, we know that this is not a work of man, that no man can do this by his willpower. I'm just going to ask you brothers to pray with me. Would you say, Father, I hear your heart. I know I can't do this, but I give you my heart. I ask God that you would make me holy. I ask God that you would make me pure. I want to be with you in the kingdom. I want your work in my life to reflect your glory to others. Would you do such a deep work in me that others will see your glory? I take off the shackles of sin and worldliness and lust and my addictions my weaknesses, my excuses, my justifications. And I ask God 
that you would shackle me to your throne, to your righteousness, to your Son, Jesus. Make me look like Jesus. Holy Spirit, mark me. Holy Spirit, set me apart. Holy Spirit, raise me up. Consecrate my tongue to speak truth. Consecrate my eyes to only gaze upon things that are righteous and holy and pure. Renew my mind, O God. Tear down strongholds of darkness and raise up strongholds of righteousness. I give everything to you. My mind, my will, my emotions, my future, my possessions, my sexuality, my devotion. I lay it down before you. I exchange everything in my life for everything in you. In Jesus' name. We're just going to go into a short time of worship. You can sit or stand. But what I'm hoping is that this song will be a little bit different to you. This time when we sing it, we're going to sing uh, Come As Close As You Want. And I just pray, especially you guys that were praying. Actually, I would just want to pray over the guys that were that didn't stand up. If you guys that were standing can just come alongside the guys that are sitting right now and just pray for them. Put your hand on them. Just come near a guy that might be sitting down right now to pray for them. Lay your hands on them. Father, we just lift up our brothers right where they're at. We thank you for your grace upon their lives. We thank you, O God. We just ask, God, that you'd break off any shame or condemnation. We just give no room for the enemy to come in and in any way uh, oppress them, Father. We know that you have a plan and a purpose and a destiny for our brothers. We ask that you'd release grace, God, to, to see this holiness, to understand how critical it is. We just ask that you'd release a revelation of your kingdom, that you'd release your grace to walk into that commitment to be set apart for you. We ask that you'd protect them. Just put a hedge of protection around them, O God, in this hour. We ask that you'd bless them and protect them and cover them. We just ask for your mercy and your grace and your love to abound in them, O God. We bless them in the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Come as close as you are. Consume this heart that longs to burn. I know your fire can hurt. I would be lost Ah uh-huh. 
set us apart, that you would continue to do the work of sanctification in our hearts. We commit each other into your hands. In Jesus' name. For the next, I'd like you Teen Challenge guys to mix with the other guys. Get together in groups of three and just pray for one another before we leave. I know you guys, we're going to get you out of here by 11.15. But for the next 15 minutes at least, I'd like you Teen Challenge guys to find uh, a couple guys that aren't from Teen Challenge and just sit down and pray for one another. Just respond however God's put on your heart. Maybe you need prayer around a specific stronghold uh, for God to bring deliverance and healing so you can step out of that. But don't leave here until you get prayer. And and for the guys, the Teen Challenge guys, you got till 11.15 and then move uh, into that outer area and we'll make sure you guys get back in time. Got some guys up here. Hey, beloved.